Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Frank Sinatra, transcribed as Rocky Fortune. Frank Sinatra, who stars as that footloose and frequently unemployed young gentleman, Rocky Fortune. about me and employment, we start out together, but sooner or later we reach the fork in the road. Usually sooner. You take last week. The employment agency sent me out on a job as an oyster shucker. But somebody tried to serve me up on a half shell with a real crazy cocktail sauce. Blood. Pardon me, is this the uh, 50 Fathoms Clam House? Yes. Is there something I can do for you? That's the best offer I've had all day. We'll have a table in a minute. Would you care to look at the menu? What's the menu got that you haven't got there? A price list. If you'll excuse me, I'm busy. Now, wait a minute. Don't get sore. I work here. I'm the new oyster shucker. I'm Rocky Fortune. Well, you'd better go around to the kitchen, Mr. Fortune. Just call me Rocky, huh? And I'll call you two or three times a day. Don't bother. Why not? For one thing, I've got a boyfriend. Now, why would we let a little thing like that come between us? Maybe because he's standing right behind you. Oops. He isn't exactly standing behind me. It's more like all around me. This joke is six foot four, 200 pounds on the hoof, and broad enough to go through the middle of a revolving door. And I can't figure a gorilla like this with this girl. She's a real sweet little girl, like somebody's kid sister. Only she's wearing a knit dress, and she's got a figure that's given the warp and the woof a hard time. I get a glimmer when she introduces me to the bruiser. Mr. Fortune, this is Mr. Barney. He's the manager. All right, Fortune, get back to the kitchen. I'll give you a personal introduction to a barrel of oysters. This way. And Fortune. Yeah? Stay away from Iris. Who says so? I say so. Here's your counter. Shell's in a garbage can. And this is the oyster knife. Right. And just so as we don't misunderstand each other, I'm very serious about Iris. Very serious. Hey, look out with that knife. You understand, Fortune? I got an inkling. Now get to work and shut them oysters.
It takes me a few minutes to pull the dull-bladed oyster knife two inches out of the table where Big Barney has buried it. About this time, Ferdinand, the waiter drifts in the door. Ferdy's a little wispy guy who looks like the mechanical rabbit the greyhounds chase at the dog track. A dozen cherry stones! Hey, who are you? Rocky Fortune. I'm the new oyster shucker. What happened to Herman? Maybe he got washed out with the tide. Hey, pal, when do I get something to eat here? Didn't you get some supper? No. That Barney, no consideration. Look, I'll fix you something. Uh, I've been looking at the menu. How about the swordfish? Uh-uh. No? To my best friend, I wouldn't recommend the swordfish. Not tonight. Ferdinand? Yes, sir? Mr. Abenaki's coming in. Excuse me. Hey, Chief! Give me two double shrimp cocktails, a crab meat salad, lobster gumball, a bowl of Boston, a bowl of Manhattan, and a bucket of lobsters. What do you got out there? Rotary luncheon? No, just Mr. Abenaki. I take a peek through the kitchen door, and Mr. Abenaki is sitting on two chairs at once and is still lapping over on all sides. Barney and Ferdinand are hovering around him like a pair of hummingbirds trying to neck with a navy blimp. I make a resolution to quit eating French fried potatoes and go back to unbuttoning oysters and remove their overcoats. It's lonely work, so I strike up a conversation. There's nobody in the pantry but me and the oysters, so I got no choice. You think you've got troubles? Hmm. I'm the one that ought to get stewed. You got it soft. You don't have to worry what happens if your lady friend decides to clam up. All you got to do is just lay there, and that's all. And if you want to make an impression on a dame, all you got to do is whip up a <clears throat> pearl. A th- Holy smokes, a real live pearl. It's a real live pearl sitting in the middle of that oyster staring up at me with its one beautiful beady eye. I'm figuring on calling little Arthur the book to place a fin on the nose of Pearl Diver in the fifth at Belmont when I open the next oyster. So help me another pearl. I haven't had a run of luck like this since I busted up the floating crap game in Doherty's garage. So I leave the stake out and shoot it all. Another oyster. Another pearl. Come on, baby. Papa needs a new necklace. One after another. And every little darling loaded. I'm trembling as I hit number ten... Eleven and twelve. Twelve great big fat pearls in my hot little hand and all mine. Just to make sure, I stash them away in my pocket quick as Ferdinand the waiter comes in the door. Two dozen special oysters for Mr. Abenaki. Buddy boy, I never could see nothing special about no oysters. It's like eating a clammy handshake. Get them up, and I'll pick them up on the way out. The specials for Mr. Abenaki come out of this barrel. And don't shuck them. He likes them open at the table. He says it improves the flavor. Yes, sir, Sergeant. Unfortunately, Barney has forgotten to tell me this, and I've already separated Mr. Abenaki's special oysters from their shells. Now, to me, the difference between a couple of oysters is something that can only interest another oyster. So I fill up a plate from a regular barrel. This, it turns out, is a mistake. 
Through the doors, I hear Mr. Abenaki sounding off like the bullhorn on a big moat. And Ferdinand comes flying back like a scared pigeon. What happened? What happened to the special oysters? Who is responsible for this? Please, Ooh. Mr. Abenaki. I special oysters shipped in just for me, and what do I get? Call these oysters these miserable, scrawny blobs. What happened to Mr. Abenaki's oysters? You, fortune. Me? What happened to the specials? It was just a little mistake. A mistake. A mistake with my oysters. Please, Mr. Robinaki. Butch, what happened? I opened them first. Nobody told me any different. You hear that? He opened my oysters. All that flavor gone. Gone forever. What is this? A federal case? You feather-headed idiot. Now, wait you a minute. No the customers good. can hear you. Fortune, you lame brain, you apologize to Mr. Robinaki. Okay, okay. To him, I'll apologize. But you, you muscle-headed bum. Well, you scrawny knucklehead, I ought to pry you apart like a charter clam. Why don't you put your money where your mouth is? Mr. Barney, I, I'm sure it was an honest mistake. Why don't you give him another chance? You shut up and keep out of this. Hey, who do you think you're talking to? You ought to wash your mouth out with soap before you talk to a lady. Fortune... You're fired. Oh, no. Please, Mr. Barney. You keep out of this. Take him up front and pay him off. Iris fishes me a couple of bucks out of the register, and I can see she's a little sorry for me, which makes me feel very pleasant indeed. Here you are, Mr. Fortune. I wish it was more. Oh, well. Easy come, easy go. I just wish I was staying on, though, so I could see you again. It took a lot of courage to stand up to Barney like that. I still have the oyster knife. Well, I wish there was something that I could do. How about splitting a steak with me tonight, huh? After all, I just got fired. And I shouldn't be left alone with a knife. Well, I suppose it's all right. Meet you when you get off. Is it a date? All right, Rocky. I'm off at nine. you bounced a knot on the head for the day. Twelve pearls and a beautiful girl. This is better than a daily double. It's about 8.45 when I head out the back door. It's a very cozy neighborhood. You could sometimes go as far as a block without stumbling over a drunk or being mugged for a pair of clean socks. So I'm not too surprised when an arm whips around my neck and I cease breathing until further notice. Don't say a word. Who can talk? This ain't no briar pipe sticking in your back. Okay, okay. Hand them over. Anything in particular? You know what I'm talking about. Hand them over. Now, Mac, this may make me seem a little slow, but I haven't got the slightest idea what you're talking about. The pearls, wise guy. The pearls, you got them. Oh, them. Didn't your mother ever tell you it ain't polite to shortstop? Now pass them over. They're mine. I found them. Okay, okay. Hand them over. Over my dead body. That can be arranged. All right, wise guy. I'll give you a quick five to hand them over. One. Hey, you're kidding, aren't you? Two. Okay, okay. I got them right here. Three. Right here, hey. Hey, they're gone. Four. Honest, I put them in his pocket, see? I said four. Look, look, there's a hole in it. Look, I can wiggle my finger through it. Five. If you don't believe me, look for yourself. Yeah. Okay, hold still. I'm ticklish. You're clean, all right. Listen, punk, I'll give you a chance. You got 12 hours to hand those pearls over. But I lost them, honest. You lost them, you find them. Remember, 12 hours or we'll fit you for a brand new satin-lined overcoat with silver handles. And just to show you we ain't kidding. About 20 minutes later, the world slows down to a gentle spiral. 
Some other bum has rolled me for 38 cents and change, a subway token, and my shoes. I paddle around to the avenue on my bare feet, and I find Iris waiting in front of a drugstore looking like Hurricane Barbara, about to hit the Atlantic coast from Block Island to Cape Hatteras. Rocky, this is not the kind of a neighborhood where a girl likes to wait for... What's the matter? You're limping. I stepped on a live cigar butt. Well, you're barefoot. Where are we going? To a square dance? Look, honey, I'm afraid our date's off. Why? I gotta attend a funeral. Whose? Mine. What are you talking about? There seems to be a difference of opinion about some pearls. I told the guy I found them, but he couldn't see it my way. You found some pearls? Yes. Where? Where else? In an oyster. Twelve of them. You found 12 pearls in one oyster? No, no. One each in a dozen. How's that for luck? Nobody's that lucky. But now I can't find them. I got a hole in my pocket. I must have dropped them. Oh, that's terrible. You don't know the half of it. The guy who just slugged me gave me 12 hours to cough up the pearls or else. A particularly nasty elf. Oh. Oh, well, then we've got to start looking for them. Right now. Right now I've got to look for some shoes. A guy can get athlete's foot this way. <laughs> back into the 50 Fathoms clam house to try to find the pearls. I'm cutting my bare feet to ribbons on broken clam shells. We go through the sawdust in the pantry a spoonful at a time, but we draw a blank. No pearls. Up to now, I've been thinking I'm just lucky, but slowly I realize I've been playing with marked oysters. I figure the pearls must be hot as a tin roof in August. Rocky, what happens if we don't find them? They might kill you. Yeah. I was thinking that was a possibility, too. Well, where else could you have dropped them? Is there anything on the floor, a, a garbage can or something? Wait a minute. There was. That little barrel that Mr. Abenaki's oysters came in. It was right by this stool. Maybe the pearls dropped in it. But the barrel's gone, too. Of course. They pick it up at night and take it back to the oyster boat. Can you find out which boat? I know. I sign the receipt every day. It's the, it's the Polly B at Pier 22. Oh, Rocky, do you think the pearls could still be in the barrel? Well, I got a hasty feeling I'd better find out. Anyway, if Abenaki's oysters came from that boat, then so do the pearls. Rocky, I'm going with you. Now, look, honey, it's going to be dangerous and dark down on that dock. You'll be there. I know. That's what frightens me. Well, come on. Let's head for Pier 22. And if I don't find the pearls, well, at least it's a good place to jump off. I'm still barefoot as we head up the waterfront to Pier 22, but I keep going. I figure it's like a horse. If I pull up lame now, I'm a sense to get shot. Pier 22 looks like the spot where Henry Hudson dropped his anchor on the first trip. There's a crap game going on in the dock office. We wait until somebody makes a four the hard way and slip through in the confusion. The oyster boat is halfway down the pier, and we go aboard. Don't chip on them ropes. Isn't that the barrel right there? That's it. That's it, all right. I'll tip it up to the light. Empty as a pocket before payday. Oh, Rocky. I wonder where the elephants go to die. Rocky. Rocky, listen. Yeah. Somebody must have broken up the crap game. They're coming this way. What are we going to do? That guy who put the arm on me is with him. You see the guy with no neck? Yeah. Come on, we better hide. Well, where? Down the hatch behind us. I can't jump down there, not in this skirt. In it or out of it. Here you go. Oh. Oh, it's dark down here. Look out. Here I come. Now, keep quiet, baby, and maybe we'll get out of this thing in one piece. All right, let's get going. Cast off the bar line. What is it? What's happening? 
Did you bring your toothbrush? A toothbrush? What for? I can only think of one thing to say at this point. What? Bon voyage. B is definitely not in the Queen Mary class. It's sort of a cross between an oversized shoebox and the Staten Island Ferry. It would probably rock like crazy in a bathtub, and by the time we're through the narrows and into the lower bay, Iris has turned a tasteful tone of green, which unfortunately clashes with her purple dress. Oh, Rocky, I'm afraid I'm going to die. No, you're not. Oh, I'm, I'm afraid I'm not going to die. Ugh. Somebody will hear you. I don't care. There's the boy. The man. The boy. What What happened? We're stopping. Maybe we hit a red light. Where are you men? Get the net on the side. Come on. Hurry up. What is it? Oysters? I don't know. I better boost you up so you can sneak a peek. You ready? Mm-hmm. Oh. Well? It's a barrel, Rocky. They pulled it in with a net. Rocky, it's got a, a flag on it. Let me down. I got it now. Just like Prohibition. Someone on an incoming line that dumps the stuff over. And this boat picked it up. Yeah, and delivers it to the 50 Fathoms Clam House. What a way to sneak in pearls inside an oyster. And if some jerk opens one by mistake, he just thinks he's lucky. Can you imagine a guy stupid enough to think he'd really find a pearl in an... Uh, um, you read any good books lately? Rocky, it's... It's a smuggling racket. Baby, you're even smart. That's right. I could kiss you. I have my eyes closed and my mouth puckered when the roof falls in. And I find myself kissing a 30-pound flounder which is part of a load of fish dumped in on top of us. We're standing up to the neck in fresh-caught ocean fish in season. I pick a herring out of my ears and look around for Iris. And once again, I get that funny feeling. You know, that yearning to take her out of all of this. A poly bee makes it back to the pier in blue ribbon time. And when the coast is clear, Iris and I climb out of the fish and shake off the scales. I've got a smelt in my pocket and a certain air about me. Ooh, I can't even stand myself. I think it's invigorating. Uh, Rocky, you know what's clear? You got the pearls by mistake. Yeah, those oysters were meant for Mr. Abernathy. They're delivered specially for him. It must be, Rocky. So, what do we do now? Well, honey, as much as I hate disturbing a man at his meal, Mr. Abernathy leaves me no choice. He eats all day. <laughs> There's a limit to how long a dame can wander through town with seaweed in her hair and a strong suspicion that barnacles have set in. So Iris heads up to her apartment to change. I figure I might as well head over to the clam house to do a little digging on my own. It's midnight now, and Ferdinand's in the kitchen when I get there. Say, what happened? You jump off the ferry? Never mind. Listen, has Abenaki still got his nose in a feed bag? He's on his demitasse. Demitasse? Yes, he has to watch his weight. Look, Ferdinand, about those special oysters... Mr. Abenaki never has them open in the kitchen, right? Right. He's a very particular man. He wants to make sure all the flavor's locked in. I'll bet he does. Ferdinand, this may come as a shock to you, but something tells me Mr. Abenaki is playing push in the corner with the United States Customs. 
Not to mention the cops from the country where the stuff was originally heisted. The stuff? The pearls. I found a dozen of them in his oysters. I can't figure out where they went to, though. You lost them? Yeah, to a hole in my pocket. I was leaning over the counter right here. Now, they could have rolled along, but I I didn't find them on the floor. They should have dropped right down here like... Hmm. Who put that bowl of soup on the stool? I did. That's Mr. Abenaki's oyster stew. I always leave it there until he's ready for it. You do? Yes. Did Mr. Abenaki have oyster stew tonight? Sure. He has a couple of bowls with each meal. Ferdinand, i got to make some phone calls to the cops for a squad car in the Bellevue Hospital for a stomach pump. You mean Mr. Abenaki is a smuggler? Somebody around here is, and he looks like it. I'll let the cops nail it down. Well, that's too bad, isn't it? About Abenaki, why? He deserves what he's got coming to him. Yes, but I'm afraid you don't. Now, please put up your hands, Mr. Fortune. You see, we wouldn't want the police around. The clam house has to think of its reputation. But your gun is loaded. Barney? Sure, boss. Take this gun and keep him covered. With pleasure. Then it's you. I suppose it is. Barney, uh, could Captain Duran arrange a special trip on the Polly B? <laughs> Easy. Well, uh, we'll have to be careful where we drop you. It wouldn't do to spoil the oyster bed. Mr. Abenaki wouldn't like it. Couldn't you just maroon me on a desert island? Please, Mr. Fortune, be practical. Now, we're going out through the kitchen door. Barney, you go first. Sure thing, boss. Coast is cut. Barney! Barney, what happened? Probably this. Sure, how's Barney? Oh, he's out cold. What did you hit him with? A frozen flounder. You know, it was Ferdinand all the time? The waiter? Sure, he got to the oysters before Abenaki. That reminds me. Where are you going? Call the cops. I got to tend to something. Yeah? Can I help you? Mr. Abenaki... You had an oyster stew earlier this evening. Uh, I did. Uh, please pass the ketchup. Look, I, I don't want to disturb you, but there were a dozen pearls in that stew. Oh? I thought the oysters were somewhat gritty. Now, we've got to get those pearls back wherever they are. Is that all? You've got them. I, I suppose I have. In the midsection. More or less. I'm going to send for a stomach pump right away. Oh, oh that won't be necessary. I I have them in my vest pocket. Uh, here. I'll use the pearls... You mean you didn't eat them? Goodness, no. I almost lost a filling on the first one, though. I thought I was just lucky. You're sure these pearls belong to you? I'm positive, Mr. Abenaki. Well, if they're yours, take them by all means. Oh, and uh, young man. Yeah? Ask somebody to bring me another piece of pie. Somebody else gets the pie. Me? I'm in the mood to relax. The Rover boys are safe in the walk-in refrigerator. The 12 pearls have come home to Papa. And I'm alone with Iris, who's wearing a flannel skirt and a little boy's shirt, which never looks like that on no little boy. Well, Rocky? Honey, I think maybe you saved my life. Would you like to claim a little reward? What kind of reward? A come here. Uh-uh. Closer. Uh-uh. Baby, I've got something for you. Yeah. The pearls. Well, honey. Hmm? I've got something for you. Yeah? What? A property receipt from the U.S. Customs Department. You. You. You're a. Cop. 
Good night, Rocky. Good night. Frank Sinatra as that footloose and fancy-free young man known as Rocky Fortune. Others in the cast included Lynn Allen, Jack Crucian, Jack Nestle, Lou Merrill, and William Euler. Andrew C. Love directed. Eddie King speaking. Now here's Frank Sinatra to tell you about next week's transcribed adventure. Did you ever get up in the morning and find out you were somebody else? The next week I wake up married to a dame and I don't even know her name. I'm living like a Maharaja and I'm insured for a hundred grand. Double indemnity. Next week then, tune in again when Frank Sinatra returns as Rocky Fortune. This is the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Frank Sinatra, transcribed as Rocky Fortune. NBC presents Frank Sinatra, starring as that footloose and frequently unemployed young gentleman, Rocky Fortune. about you, but I'm the kind of guy who can't stay put. I get restless. Give me a nice soft job, a buck in my pocket and a meal ticket, and one will get you ten, I'll quit the job, lose the buck on the GGs, and exchange the meal ticket for a train ticket. You take last week, for instance. The employment agency sends me down to Houston Street for a job as a chauffeur. Hey, Mac, this 159 Houston? Hey, what do you want? Somebody wants to hire a chauffeur. A chauffeur? <laughs> I made a joke? You take a look around this neighborhood, mister. Who do you think got money for a chauffeur? Not even for food he got money. 
Look, all I know is the agency got a call for a chauffeur. Five foot nine, thin, chauffeur's license, must be able to wear pre-cut uniform. And you get the wrong place. 159 Houston, sixth floor. This is 159 Houston. My name is Dick Conic. I'm the janitor. You take a look how many floors we got, eh? Maybe they meant fifth floor. I better go up. Yeah. Go ahead. Let me know if you get the job, eh? <laughs> <laughs> This don't look like chauffeur land to me, but I figure I already blew a subway token to get here, so I leg it up four flights of stairs left over from a Charles Adams cartoon. As I am rounding the turn at flight number five, a funny-looking little guy steps out of the shadows. Hey, buddy. Yeah? Uh, you got change for a buck. Sure. Here. Thanks. Hey. Huh? Where's the clam? Here. Oh. Before, but this guy works on my skull like he's a Sherman tank in the Aberdeen Proving Grounds. When I come to, I'm in a white room with iron grill work on the windows. It's morning, which means I made an evening of it. Alongside my bed stands a gorilla in a white coat. I figure this place for a pad at Bellevue. I am mistaken. Okay, take it easy, Steve. Oh. How do you feel this morning? Oof. You've had a couple of bad nights, Steve. A couple? What day is this? Tuesday. Holy smokes. I've been out since Saturday. Last week you were pretty good. Only a couple of lapses. Did you say last week? That's right, Steve. The name is Rocky. Rocky Fortune. You're not going to start that again, are you, Steve? Start what? That Rocky Fortune bit. Dr. Harris wouldn't like it. Listen. Oh, what a hangover. Take it easy. Look, where am I, Buster? Mount Kenzie Rest Home. Mount Kenzie. Is that in the Bronx? It's near Denver. Denver? Denver, New York? Denver, Colorado. Okay, buddy. If the joke's over, I'll take my clothes and get out of here. Joke, Steve? Joke, Jake. Give me the clothes. I'm afraid I can't do that. Not without Dr. Harris's order. Will you tell the good doctor that Rocky Fortune wants to have a word with him? Now, if you're going to insist on that, Steve, I'm afraid we'll have to try the treatment again. What treatment? Come along. Take the hands off, Buster. You're etching the epidermis. You coming along? Not if I can help it. Okay. Your hand's a big guy in the judo department, besides which they got me drugged like a hypochondriac with a third-degree hangnail. He drags me into a white tire room and starts to massage my head with a fist like a sledgehammer. Only this bum's got a new wrinkle. First he puts a pail on my head and then he hits the pail. After 20 minutes of this, I begin to feel like the main bell on St. Mary's Christmas morning. Just when I think I can't take it anymore, a gray-haired guy with a scarred face ambles in. All right, Johan. All right. That's enough. Take the pail off his head. Oh. How do you feel, Stephen? Oh, just dandy. Johan is so impulsive. Repulsive. Would you like a cigarette? Yeah. How about get me out of this polo coat? Yes, in a moment. First, I want to see if you've come to your senses. Look, would you mind telling me what this is all about? One minute I'm being rolled in a hallway in New York City, and the next minute I wake up in Denver, Colorado. Stephen, you've been here at Mount Kenzie for eight years. My name is Rocky, born Rocco Fortunato. Your name is Stephen Crandall III. Eight years ago, you were thrown from a polo pony and sustained a head injury. 
You suffer from delusions. You've been under treatment here. Come on, Doc. What's the ransom? Ransom? How much do I have to raise to get out of here? You see, Johan, he's still very sick. Poor fella. Yes. I'm afraid we'll just have to continue the treatment. All right, Johan, put the pail on his head. again. What's your name? Rocky. And if you don't like it, you can... All right, Johan. Now we'll try it once more. Your name? Go jumping. Johan. Name? That's enough, Johan. Hey, well, young man, your name? Stephen. Stephen what, please? Stephen Crandall, the third. Your age? Thirty-two. How long have you been here? Eight years. Why did you come here? Polo accident. Good, good. And now once again, your name? Crandall. Stephen Crandall. By the time Johan and the phony doctor decided to call it a night, they almost had me convinced I was Stephen Crandall. Pardon me, the third... They dope me up again for the night, and next morning we cover the course again. Good morning, Stephen. Uh, you slept well? I had a funny dream. So? I dreamed I was a guy named Rocky Fortune. I dreamed I went to apply for a job as a chauffeur in New York City, and somebody sapped me. Pretty funny, huh? But you understand it was only a dream. Oh, sure. I'm happy to hear that. You see, today we have a surprise for you. Can you guess? I get a new pail. No jokes? No jokes. Check. What's the surprise? You're going home. I thought you said no jokes. Well, this isn't a joke, Stephen. I feel you're ready to leave at last. We're going to let you go home, on trial, of course. Now, at the first sign of your delusion that you are someone other than Stephen Crandall, I'm afraid you'll have to return. When do I fly? Tomorrow morning. Johan will accompany you. I get another shot of essence of vampire and wake up next morning feeling as strong as a mouse. Before I know what happens, they hustle me into a black Duesenberg and drive toward Denver. About two miles out of town, we cut up a winding private road and stop in front of a 28-room bungalow. The doc and Johan walk me to the door, close enough so I can feel the muzzle of Johan's 45 caressing my spine. The door is opened by a medium-sized butler right out of Dickens, with side whiskers and all. Yes, gentlemen. Hello, Deems. Why, it's Dr. Harris and Mr. Stephen. We weren't expecting you so early. Mr. Stephen, how are you? Speak up, Steve. Hmm? Oh, fine, Deems, the old man. Just peachy. Come in, sir. Come in. Welcome home. Thanks. Uh, have a seat, Mr. Stephen. I'll inform Miss Laurie you're home. I lower myself into a chunk of Chippendale and wait. My head aches and everything looks like a 3D movie without glasses. 
After a couple of minutes through the blur, I see a dame come floating down the staircase. Even in my weak condition, I can appreciate that she's got more curves than the Jersey Turnpike. She takes one look and comes on like gangbusters. Steve, darling! Oh, oh darling, darling. Sis, this is your wife, Steve. He's still a bit confused, Laura. Oh, I understand, Doctor. Oh, it's good to have you home, Steve. Kiss me again, darling. You know something, baby? It's good to be home. We go into a clinch again, and I am just beginning to enjoy my new identity when Deemsy clears his adenoids and announces... <coughs> Uh, excuse me, Miss Laura. Hmm. Uh, judge Harley is calling. The judge? Here? Well, Dr. Harris, is it all right? Judge Harley is an old friend of the family, isn't he? Oh, yes, he's known Stephen since he was a boy. Well, I think it'll be all right. Just behave yourself, Stephen. Oh, sure. Very well, Deans. Show him in. Uh, yes, ma'am. Remember, Stephen. How can I forget? Uh, this way, Your Honor. Laura... Well, 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 and Stephen. I heard you were coming home, but I didn't expect I'd actually find you here. How are you, my boy? Great, great. Just uh, let me look at you. Oh, he's changed, Laura. Thin. Ought to eat more. Well, I expect eight years in a, a way it can change a man. Even eight hours can do it. Mm, very thin indeed. You know, I hate to see a thin man or a mm, woman. Uh... This is Dr. Harris from the rest home and his assistant, Mr. Fiddler. Judge Harley, gentlemen. How do you do, Judge? Uh, I, I won't intrude. I just dropped by to see how you were progressing with your uh, personal bankruptcy. My attorney will file in a week or so, Judge. Yes, well, it mustn't delay too long, you know. As a friend, I'll hold back the flood as long as I can, but creditors will be creditors. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll be running along, Stephen. It's been wonderful to see you back in the bosom of your family. You fatten him up now, Laura. Hate to see a thin man or woman. Good day. I give the judge a couple of seconds to leg down to his black limousine, which I can see through the French window. I toss a haymaker at Johan and pull an Esther Williams through the casement. I land in a bramble patch. Natch. Just as the judge gets to his car. Judge! Judge Harley! Hold it, hold it. Stephen, uh, what is it? Get in the car. I can't talk now. Come on, let's get going. Oh, but Stephen, I... Look, I'm not Stephen. My name is Rocky Fortune. This whole thing's a big hoax. Now step on it before they get here. Of course, Stephen. Rocky. Strange, it won't start. The ignition's not on. Okay, hold it. Don't try to get away, Steve. Fat chance. You okay, Judge? Now, what happened? Steve here tried to do away with himself. Right out of the window. Lucky it was the first floor. What was he telling me about being Rocky something or other? Oh, he's Rocky, all right. Judge, listen. Call the Gridley Employment Agency in New York, will you? Steve, you know what I got in my pocket. Now, be a good boy and I'll give you some candy. Okay, man. You win. This time. Sorry to have troubled you, Judge. Come on, Steve. Glad it was of service. Take good care of Steve now. Don't worry about that, Judge. It's thin. Very thin.
lugs me back into the house like a piece of stale mackerel, and the good doctor immediately slips me a needle full of wink and blink and a nod. Yeah, there we are. Oh, the poor darling, he's all scratched up. Let me take him up to our room. Yeah. My dear, you see how unstable he is. I'm afraid he'd better be in a separate room. Johan will stay with him. But we haven't seen each other for eight years. Yeah. I'm sorry, Laura. As his physician, You're I... You're no more physician than I am Steve Crandall. Baby, they're trying to put one over on you. I don't know why. Johan. Yes, doctor. Johan puts the muscle on me and I'm locked into the guest room on the second floor. By the time we reach the door, my head feels like the steam room at an all-night Turkish bath. I get my ear on the pillow and pass out. Rocky. Hmm? It's me, Laura. Hmm. I've been waiting for you. I've arrived. Kiss me, Rocky. Why not? Say, that's nice perfume. I'm glad you like it. Makes me sleepy. Sleep. Smells like, like... Smells like marsh gas. Gas. Gotta, gotta wake up. Gotta open, open a window. Come on, come on, boy. That's a boy crawl. Crawl, boy. That's it. Now the ch- chair. Window. Come on. What is it? I was in my room and I heard a crash. Nothing much, baby. Let me get some air. You're sick. I ain't healthy. Turn off that gas heater, will you? Where's Johan? He's downstairs with Dr. Harris. Well, Steve, what happened? Nothing. Your friend Johan tried to fit me for a casket, that's all. Steve? I am not Steve. Let's get it straight, honey. Before Muscles gets back. My name is Rocky Fortune. I'm a ringer. The doc and Johan are trying to pass me off as your husband. You ought to know better. I... I do. It's a nice time to say so. I didn't dare. They threatened to murder me. Okay, let's have it. My husband committed suicide in their sanatorium some months ago. He carried very heavy life insurance. Naturally, we couldn't collect on a suicide. Johan and the doctor decided that they wouldn't report the death. They got you to take Steve's place. I begin to get it. I have an accident, you collect double indemnity, and they pry you loose from the money. They forced me into it. Okay, we've got to get out of here, baby. But they'll kill us. Not if they want me to look like an accident, they won't. I'm worth a lot of loot, kid. Well, how can we do it? Is there anybody in the house you can trust? Deems. Fine. Get to them, tell them to have a car ready in front of the house in exactly five minutes. Where's Johan and the doc? Downstairs. Probably give me plenty of time to soak up the ether. Okay, look, go down, tell them I'm lying here dead. When they come up, you get out to the car. Got it? Yes. Wish me luck. Good luck, Steve. Rocky. Good luck, Rocky. Soon as Laura leaves, I fix up a dummy out of pillows and stuff it in the bed. Then I slip out of the room and hide in an alcove about ten feet away. I wait. A minute later, the doc and Johan come stumbling up the stairs like a thundering herd. I let him rush into the room, take two giant steps, and lock the door behind him. 
Uncle. Can't hear you, Uncle. Temper, temper. Open the door. So long, gentlemen. Don't think it hasn't been a pleasure because it hasn't. I am down the steps like a grasshopper in a granary and on my way out when I see the telephone and get a sudden inspiration. Operator. Operator, I want the municipal courthouse. Judge Harley, it's an emergency. I'll connect you with information. I said emergency, baby. If it's an emergency, baby, I'll give you the hospital. I'll settle for information. Make it fast. Upstairs, I can hear Johan and the doctor making headway with the door, and I don't have much time to waste on explanations. I need something that'll knock the judge right off his bench and bring him out here in a hurry. Hello? Judge Harley? Yes? This is Deems, the Crandall butler. Oh, what is it, Deems? Master Stevens has just murdered the entire family, sir. He's kidnapping me. What? What is this? What's that banging noise? It's uh, dynamite, sir. He's blowing up the house room by room. I think you'd better get out here, sir. Here they come. Deems? Bye. I figured this ought to bring him out on the double, so I write a message on the mirror with Laura's lipstick and leap out to the car one jump ahead of the hounds. Are you all right, Rocky? Fine. Well, what took so long? Had to call my bookmaker to ensure a bet. What about the doc and, and Johan? On the inside, looking out. Head for the local constabulary, Deems, the old sock. Yes, sir. I spend the next few minutes gazing fondly into Laura Crandall's lavender eyes and she gazes back. I can see the fine blue blood surge to her cheeks. And on her, blue surge looks pretty good. I'm ready to surrender to the beast in me when Deemsy makes a screaming turn off the main highway and pulls to a stop ten feet from the edge of a cliff. Hey, what gives? There's been a car following us, sir. I didn't see any car. If I may say so, sir, you weren't paying much attention. All right, all right, let's get going. I'm afraid not, sir. Listen, egghead, I said let's get... You were saying? Put down the gun, Deemsy. I'll get the orders, Mr. Fortune. Get out. Wait a minute. What is this? Just step over to the edge of the cliff, if you please. What if I don't please? You take on weight all of a sudden. He means it, Rocky. Okay. Mind if I ask what happens next, or am I being naive? Next, Mr. Fortune, you accidentally fall off the cliff. The car follows you. Accident. Double indemnity. Exactly. Now, turn around. What makes you think they're going to believe it? You're suicidal. Even Judge Harley saw you go through a window. Very neat. Turn around. We haven't much time. Okay, okay. Laura, push him over. I... Come on, this is no time to lose your nerve. Steve, I... Push him. I can't do it. All right. Take the gun. I'll do it myself. I hear a car. Stop worrying. All right, Mr. Fortune. That first step looks like a Lulu. Get going. Wait. Wait, listen. A police car. Come on. Baby. You all right, Mr. Fortune? I'll let you know later. Right now, I'm a little numb. We picked up the car and then lost it again. What convinced you I was telling the truth when I called? I know you weren't Stephen Crandall the first time I laid eyes on you. I also know I couldn't do anything about it at the time. When you phoned me before you left the house a few minutes ago, I had already checked the employment agency in New York City. You're lucky we picked up the car. What about the guy who fell off the cliff, Judge? Is he dead, Sergeant? Well, I didn't have a chance. Who is he? As far as I know, he's the Crandall butler. You got it wrong, Judge. You know him? I think if you take off those phony side whiskers, you'll find out he's the guy I was supposed to impersonate, Steve Crandall. What? Blossom here called him Steve just before he took the Brody. Laura, is it Stephen? Yes. 
Why did you do this? We, we had no money when Steve left the institution. He cooked up this scheme with the doc and Johan to, to cash in on his own insurance. Next time I answer an ad for a chauffeur, remind me to make sure they want a live chauffeur, not a corpse. Tonight, NBC Radio has presented, transcribed, Frank Sinatra as that footloose and fancy-free young man known as Rocky Fortune. Others in the cast included Francis Urey, Maurice Hart, Jack Mather, Herb Ellis, Stanley Fraser, Lynn Allen, and Stephen Chase. Andrew C. Love directed. Eddie King speaking. Now to tell you about next week's adventure, here's Frank Sinatra as Rocky Fortune. So that's how come I'm back on unemployment insurance again. Not for long, though. Next week, I'll tell you about the next job I had. Stewing on a big luxury line at a Bermuda. I figured I'd like to see the ocean, you know. A couple of guys were trying to help me, too. Only they wanted me to see it the hard way. From the bottom. Next week, then, tune in again when Frank Sinatra returns as Rocky Fortune. We join American business and industry in saluting the National Safety Council and the thousands of safety-minded men and women who are, this week, attending the 41st Annual Safety Council Congress and Exposition in Chicago. With the cooperation of business and industry, the National Safety Council is making life in America safer for everyone. Enjoy Fibber McGee and Molly tonight on the NBC Radio Network. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.